words matter, don't they? Would you agree with that? That words matter, and even more specifically, your words and my words matter. How we use them matters to God. It matters uh, in life. And what we're going to look at this morning is a time period in Psalm chapter 12, thousands of years ago, but yet very similar to our own time, in that there were no shortage of people in David's day, as we will see from Psalm 12. There were no shortage of people willing to use words to lie, to manipulate, to get what they wanted, to deceive. There was no shortage in people in his day that were willing to use words in a destructive way as opposed to constructive ways. And I would, I, I think I'm safe in saying there's no shortage today, right? One difference today versus David's time period, there's more platforms to do it from. Whether it's to use our words again for constructive reasons or destructive, there is more opportunity with our words even today than in David's, but very similar in terms of the culture. And what I believe we're going to see today is our need, just like in David's time, to be able to do to discern what is the truth and what is not. Be able to discern the words that are presenting something as true, which if you look at them closely, actually are not. Times change, but they don't change, right? Thousands of years later, we're still in the same place. And what I want you and I to come away with this morning, if nothing else, is that you and I have access to a truth that is trustworthy. You and I have an ability, we're going to see this morning, through the truth of God's word, through the revelation he has given us, you and I have an ability to detect to see, to discern fact from fiction, even with all these voices all around us saying otherwise. And you and I, because God loves us this much, have an ability through his revelation, through his written word, to protect ourselves, our families even, from deception. Deception's there, is it not? Culture is still trying to present things as reality and truth, which are actually not. They're the opposite, is it not? No different in David's days, we're going to see. Look at what I mean, beginning with verse 1, chapter 12 of the Psalms. It'll be on the screen. And David starts with a very intense prayer. He says, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. He's talking about believers here. Those who are loyal were loyal in their faith. Those who are loyal have, look at it, vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue those who say, and he's quoting those who deceive and lie. He says, by our tongues, we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. 
And the words, look at this close, the words of the Lord are what? Flawless. Like silver, purified in a crucible. Like gold, refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. I read that last line, and it could have been written yesterday, right? Now look at verse 1 to begin with, this first section of what David is doing, and he's turning, obviously, to God in prayer. But I want you to notice his description of the believers to begin with before I get into the prayer. He, he describes the believers in two ways. Those who are no, no longer faithful, no one is faithful anymore. So David is using hyperbole. There's not literally no one around whom, who, who is faithful anymore. It just feels that way because seemingly there's so few believers that are standing up for the truth in the midst of this culture that he was living in, in the midst of the world he was living in. He felt all alone. And he says, there's no one who's faithful anymore. No one who is faithful to God, who is faithful to his word anymore. They're buying the lies of the culture. They're buying the lies of the world as the truth. And then the second part I want you to notice, he says, there's also those who are loyal, but they have what? They vanished from the race, the human race. In other words, they're not engaged anymore. They're hiding somewhere in the closet. They're, they're, they're shrinking back. So the believers of David's day are, are either buying the lie, they're being deceived, they're not being discerning about what the world's telling them is the truth, and they're buying it wholesale. The culture is speaking louder than Christ. Or they're vanishing, they're pulling back, they're hiding away from the race, the human race being the light and the salt of the world. Now look at what he does though. David, in the midst of that, you would think he would hold up the white flag, right? And say, okay, I'm done. But that's not what David does. What does he do? Help, Lord. He prays. And he prays a very honest, purposeful prayer. And by the way, the word help is important because it doesn't mean help me survive. Once again, David is pointing out what that word means. That word help means to defend, to deliver, to liberate. David is not asking God to help him just simply survive the world, survive the culture and all the lies within it. What he is asking for is victory. What he is asking for is victory over the deception, not just to survive it and float through it. But then I want you to notice who, once again, David prays to. He doesn't pray to a God, ethereal God, this God of power. What does he say? Help what? Did you see it? Are y'all awake? Lord, there's that word again we've been talking about, the name for God of Yahweh. He doesn't pray to God in general, the higher power. He prays to the Lord. This is the precursor to Jesus Christ himself. This is the covenant God that had been walking with David and David had known in a personal relationship who had been faithful to David all his, all his life. That's who he says, give me victory. Help me in the midst of all this craziness. Help me in the midst of, of a culture that says something's true when it is clearly not. But I want you to notice how he goes on to describe the culture, the world of his day, the character of those who would use words to deceive, to manipulate, to get what they want, and even abuse people. He says, everyone, did you notice 
that he didn't say some? What did he say? Everyone, what? Lies to his neighbor. In other words, this has become commonplace. And the word lies, by the way, doesn't mean simply to deceive. It literally means to ruin. It can be understood as empty words. Empty words from, from a, a person whose character is empty, him or herself. And he's saying this has become a norm to lie. It's become a norm to be deceitful. And there's a second part of verse 2 I want you to take note of at the end of that verse that the NIV doesn't get across as clearly as it is in the Old Testament language. But he says, but they also harbor what? They harbor deception in their hearts, plural. You see what that word deception, hearts, that combination phrase, it literally means two-hearted. And what's the, 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 the purpose of using that language? It is they speak with a double mind. In other words, they'll say one thing but mean quite a different thing. They'll say what you want to hear, but they'll hide what they really mean. That's where this culture was. And once again, my friends, as I read and studied this this week, I, I'm amazed that this is thousands of years old, but it could have been written yesterday. Because I think we're in the same kind of world today, are we not? <laughs> I think it still exists that people are double-minded and double-speaking and hiding the truth of what they really mean in order to get from you what they want. And so David is saying we're dealing with this reality. And look at verses 3 and 4 just real briefly. He asked God for something. He said, Lord, I'm calling you for help. May the Lord, what? Silence all the flattering lips. And then he, he, the, the word silence is a warfare term, actually. And it means to cut off. It means to cut it at the knees. It's a, a picture of a blade severing something. And so David is asking God, meet me where we are. This is 911. This is a front, an affront to the truth. And, and the people, even believers, are beginning to buy the lies of the culture. That's what David is talking about and warning about and praying about here. And, and he goes on to say, he quotes this smug deception in verse 4. Notice what he says, how he describes these people that are willing to take words and twist and use them for their own purposes to hide who they really are. Look at what he says, verse 4. He describes them very specifically. He says, for they say what? With our tongues, with our words, we will what? Prevail. They are smug and they believe they're going to prevail. That word prevail, by the way, means to project strength you don't have. It means to look strong when you're really not. And it even means to have pride in the face of God himself. In other words, they're claiming we're going to have the last word. Nobody prevails over us. Nobody will lord it over us. A newsflash, according to God's word, he gets the last word. When Christ comes back, he will have the last word. I don't care what anybody expert or anybody tells you or I today, even in our culture today, God is going to have the last word. And, and if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense, does it not? After all, he is God. And you and I aren't. 
So they're so smug and full of themselves in this day and time, in David's time, that they believe that they would prevail even over God himself. Now listen, we don't have to go too far into the culture of our day to understand, right, that politicians will at times, big shocker, tell you something you want to hear and do the complete opposite, right? just to get your vote and to get the power. In fact, just recently, and I'm not trying to be partisan whatsoever here with this statement, just recently we had a politician say, do what it takes to win. Undercurrent of that is you don't have to tell the truth. We have become to expect from our politicians, do we not, to lie, right? Come on, are y'all there? It's almost like it's an accepted norm of our day, just like it was in David's day, that everyone lies, It's a normal thing to lie and twist the truth. It's not unusual in our day and time for lawyers to twist the truth in order to win the court fight. It's not unusual, unfortunately, even for pastors to say something that is less than truthful in order to hide something, in order to gain something, in order to image something that's not real or true. We've seen publicity of that over the years with yachts and mansions and all kinds of stuff. It is not unusual today, is it not, for corporate media to be more interested in propaganda for their personal perspectives than it is to do honest reporting. I read the paper still. I'm one of five people. <laughs> it's amazing the garbage that passes as media coverage today. It is amazing. The, and I'm not talking right or left here. I'm talking both. That they can't be honest and do their jobs. We live in that kind of day today, do we not? And that doesn't even cover social media and all the lies that come across social media every single day. We are surrounded by this garbage, are we not? If there's ever a time we need the truth, it's right now, friend. If it's ever a time we need to be able to detect what is fact from fiction, it is now. The good news is God gives you an ability to do that. The good news is he gives you a way to do that and to shine light on what is not true. But let me get more personal in nature here because it's easy, low-hanging fruit for me to pick on politicians and you car salesmen and any other example of lying and twisting the truth I can come up with. You and I can come with those because they're just so prevalent and publicized. But what about us? Hello. Are you and I living out of the truth? Are we using our words to hide stuff we don't want to reveal? Because this is not just about the world, it's about us. You see, what David refers to here in this passage is not just the world and how it is, the fallen world we live in. He's referring to believers and how they're dealing with it. And some believers were fading away into the background and or buying the lies. How about you? Are we walking around imaging things to our family or our friends because we're afraid to get honest and deal with things out in the light of day? Don't be afraid. God's good. You see, this is personal, not just public, right? Come on. Listen, I could go all day. It's easy to pick on politicians, right? That is an easy target. It's easy to pick on the media because they are what they are. But it's more personal to say, what about me? Do I truly live out of the truth myself? Or am I fooling myself? Am I lying to myself? Am I imaging things with my words that are not real and true in my own life? You see, Jesus said it very succinctly. What did he say? The truth will what? Set you free. 
John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Now, what's the assumption there? That you know the truth maker, the truth, the one who brings us the truth, that is Christ, and you are committed to living out of that truth. The truth has the power to set you and I free, but only if we embrace it. Just because it's there doesn't set you free. It is when you choose, and I choose Christ to embrace it. So what does David say to us on a practical level? Let me, let me just share three application points that I see in this passage to begin with. Number one, what did David do? He prayed first, not as a last resort. He turned to Yahweh. He turned to Christ. He turned to the God who'd been walking with him first, not as a last resort. What is the problem with us today sometimes, myself included? I try to fix it myself and then turn to Christ. I try to come up with my own plans and then, oh, by the way, maybe I ought to pray. Maybe I ought to ask the God of the universe to help me. <laughs> maybe I ought to ask the one who knows what he's doing in the first place, right? Y'all wake up. Am I the only one? Sometimes I am first to go to my plans as opposed to ask him for his. And so what David did is he prayed first, not as a last resort. Number two, understand you and I live in a fallen world. And that is hard and that is challenging. But we're called to be the light in this fallen world. We're called to be a way for Christ to be known to those in the fallen world that need the light as we have got the light. The truth of his word, the truth of Christ as we have possessed it. So understand you're in the fallen world and you've got a role in it. Don't get back. Don't lose the race. Don't cop out on the race. Number three, choose carefully those you trust. Just letting that soak. That was for dramatic pause. Just because somebody has a title doesn't mean you should trust them, right? Be careful who you trust. I'm not saying be paranoid. We got to trust. But choose carefully. Look at the words in the life patterns. Do they match up? Because the truth is, any politician that lies to you or any pastor that lies to you, somewhere you're going to see that there's a, there's a contrast. And I'm not talking perfection, so don't get me wrong. But I am talking consistency. You're going to see whether there's a consistency with what their claims and their character are. Be careful who you trust. God's word tells us that. David is telling us that here in the example. Now look at the rest of the story in verses 5 through 8, the second half of this. He starts out with telling us how we can detect what is fact from fiction through his word. We're going to dig into that even more in just a second here, but also how to protect against deception because he goes on to say, I want you to notice, because the poor are plundered, those who are most vulnerable to the deception, the, they're plundered and the needy grown. Now look at this. This is the first time this has happened in the Psalm so far in chapter 12. He's quoting God directly. God has spoken to David directly, like a prophet, as we often see in some of the prophetic writings. He's spoken to David directly. And what did God promise? He prayed, and what did God promise? God says, I will what? I will arise. Now listen, that word arise we've run into before, and it means to arise with a purpose. It doesn't just mean to show up and and just be there, it means to arise with a purpose. And that purpose is what? According to verse 5, if you look at it closely, 
he's recognizing the need and he says, I will arise, says the Lord, and I will protect them from those who malign them. I will give you protection. But look at verse 6. He gives us the source of this protection in verse 6. And he says, he pivots to the words of the Lord, the written word of God, the revelation of his word, both Old and New Testament. He says, the words of the Lord are what? Flawless. And that means pure. That means trustworthy. And he didn't stop there. Here's what I love about the language. Stay with me just for a moment. If you're taking a nap, wake up because this is good stuff right here. He says, like silver, he's describing what? God's written word. God's revelation to you and I. He says it is like silver that is purified in the crucible. In other words, it's been tested over time. It is pure. It is real. It is true and trustworthy. God's word, his written word. And then he says it is like gold refined. Did you see the number? Some of you know what that means, right? The number seven in the Bible is the what? The perfect number. What does that mean? It means complete. It means total. It means that God's word has been tested. His written word has been tested over time. And it is complete. And it is completely trustworthy. That's what David is saying. He's saying, filter your life through the truth of his written word. That assumes what? You're engaging it in the first place, right? And he tells us we've got a means to not only detect, but to protect our lives and ourselves. And it is his written word. Now, look at what else he does in verse 7 and 8. And I'll wrap it up here. He says, you, Lord, keep the needy safe. So God is there on a personal basis, right? Yahweh. And he says, and will protect. Did you see what he changed the language to? He moved from the needy and those who are vulnerable And back then, by the way, poor people were even more vulnerable than today. They had no safety social nets as we do today. So they were even more vulnerable. But notice what David says here. He says, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect who? Do you see it? Us, as in all of us, as in we're all needy of his protection. We all need the truth in order to detect and protect our lives. And he says, I will protect us forever. Now look at this, from the wicked. Now that word wicked doesn't just mean an evil person. What it means is an evil age. He will protect you from an evil generation, an evil age, just like David was in the middle of a dark age, a dark time, a culture that couldn't tell the truth from anything and presented things that were not true as reality and true. And then he goes on to say, and and, and look at verse 8, he says, and they will what? Freely strut. That means to encircle. You're getting clobbered by misinformation, by untruth, by things that are not true truth all around you. You're you're getting it from all sides is the picture there. They will freely strut about when what is vile, that's another word for evil, is what? Set up on a pedestal and honored as good. Isn't that perverted? But isn't that where we are? Yes. If you're not with me, that's where we are. That's where David and his culture was. That's where we are today as well. So what is the application for you and I this morning when it comes to words, both public and personal, how we use our words 
Number one, pray first, not as a last response. Number two, understand the fallen world you live in. You're called, and I'm called to be a light in this world, even as dark as it may get at times. Choose carefully those you trust. And number four, trust God to help you be discerning. Ask for his help. If you're confused on what the truth is, on what decision to make, on who to trust, whatever it may be, on, on how to communicate, what you're hearing, is it true or not, ask God for help. Ask his spirit to help you. He will do that. That is his role, and he wants to do that. Number five, filter life through God's word in order to discern the truth. You know what the number, and this is my, my humble opinion, that I think is absolutely true is that the number one reason believers fall to deception of the culture around us is they're not grounded in his word in the first place. I think the number one reason that believers fall to the background of the culture and or get sucked into it is because they've not made the effort to develop a biblical perspective. They've not made the effort to know what God's word actually says. The truth will set you free. You got to engage the truth for it to set you free. God has revealed to us how to measure and discern what is being thrown at us as true or not. To measure our own words as true or not. But you've got to engage in his word for that to happen. And finally... Trust that God will have the last word. Don't give up. I don't care how loud this culture gets and how much they scream something that is true when you know in your heart and you know from his word that it is not, stand strong. Because our God, our Christ is going to have the last word. And he has not left us nor forsaken us. He's right there with us to walk through this mess called the world. Be a light in it. Don't be absorbed by it. Here's what I want to wrap up with. This great quote from one of the authors on this, this psalm, Psalm 12. He said it this way. You see it on the screen. It is in Christ that we see God face to face, knowing even as we are known. It is in Christ that the power of sin is broken and life once again overpowers death. If we then are to fulfill our role as followers, as believers, to reflect the image of the Creator, the image of Christ, then we too must reflect the same kind of flawless purity of speech as the psalmist ascribes to Yahweh. You see, this is not just about discerning this big bad world. It's about discerning our own hearts. It's not just discerning when the world's telling me something is true when, it, when I know of good and well it's not, according to God's written word. It is also discerning, am I being honest? Am I truly living in the truth? Am I free? Have I allowed the truth to set me free? Am I speaking truth in love or my hiding stuff and living in the darkness myself so it's both public and personal is it not what are you going to do with it what am i going to do with it we've got the truth available the question is what are you going to do with it let's pray together 
Father, thank you as always for your written word, the revelation that you went to great pains to make sure we have. You gave us a source to measure, to discern, to see what is the truth, not only in public, in our public lives, not only in the world around us, but in our hearts. Father, you give us this opportunity to live free or we can choose to live enslaved. I pray, Father, that as followers of Christ, we understand that our words matter and we're called to be inspired to speak the truth, but to do so in love. And I pray, Father, you will give us the capacity one day at a time, the willingness, the, the desire to do just that. May we be so grounded in the revelation of Scripture in your written word that it's just clear what is true and what is not. That we have the protection that you are providing for us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us this much to give us an ability to be a light in a dark place, in a dark war of a dark culture, even as in David's day. Father, may we live not just know, but live the truth. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.